Dungeons and Dopamine. Ta-da! Hello, I'm Jess Worsniak. And I'm Brie Fagan. And you are listening to Dungeons, Dungeons and, and Dopamine, episode 11. Feels like a good number. It's double digit. Mm-hmm. Like make a wish. Yeah. 11, 11. Yeah. So everyone make a wish. I wish that everyone would go follow us on social media. All of those social medias you created so amazingly. It's everywhere. We're everywhere. <laughs> all the podcast places, all the social media places. We got retweeted on Twitter. By Bonnie. <laughs> Bonnie Quinn retweeted us. So if you remember, Bonnie Quinn is the author of the How to Survive Camping books. And I love her. And we like to bring them up during pretty much every episode. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope she's you should probably some read them. You should. I should probably finish reading them. You should. I know they were creepy though. So yeah. they're daytime reading. Yeah. I brought them on a trip that we actually just took together recently, and I couldn't read them because I was exhausted at the end of every day. (laughs) I was so tired. So much activity. I'm still tired. Mm -hmm. This whole week has just been a daze. Yep. Yep. It was worth it. It was amazing. It was a great weekend. The four. The four. And their families. We should Patreon soon, because I have so many bloopers. Mm-hmm. We're terrible at this, <laughs> actually. We are great at this. <laughs> I mean, bloopers are fantastic, mm-hmm. so. I Patreoned for Viva La Dirt League, which I've talked about once before. Which is surprising, um, actually. I thought I know. they would come up way more often. I actually am purposely bringing them up because of that. <laughs> but I love them. They're from New Zealand. Their goofy video D and D video game board the board series. It's like a retail tech thing. But anyway, I Patreon for them, mm-hmm. and I get to see their bloopers, and they're magical. They are bloopers are sometimes better than the, the sh- stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I look at it on. YouTube all the time for not Viva, but for movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. They're like one of my favorite parts. I love them. <laughs> it I think it shows the the character of a person. Mm-hmm. You you learn more about that individual than just their. I feel like there was a whole trend probably in the late '90s, early 2000s, where at the end of every movie there was a blooper reel. Yes. And I loved it. And they don't really do that anymore. They don't. Now you wait to the end, and it's just like some secret hint for what the next movie is, or which like is an Easter egg fine. for a character or something. But even those have, I don't know, gone downhill. Yeah. So, let's. Make a movement. Bring back the bloopers. Bring back the bloopers. I like it. We need Jackie Chan back out there. <laughs> the poor guy. I think he's in his 
late 80s now. He's gotta be. And we're calling him back to work. But he did the bloopers at the end of every mm-hmm. uh, every movie. I was gonna say every episode. Every movie. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone. It was really weird to see him in things like Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, but, but you know. Somebody's gotta do the bloopers. <laughs> did you know that Jackie Chan sang a Chinese version? Of the song Shang Li sings in Mulan. Let's get down to business. <laughs> I did not know that. He does. But I appreciate you following following through with exactly what song. I so wish I could I'm have done confused. it in Chinese. <laughs> that would have been incredible. Could you work on that, please? I will. Mandarin, maybe? Maybe it's Probably Mandarin. Probably Mandarin. We'll just lose the rest of our listeners. I mean... <laughs> the very scant few that we haven't already scared away. No, we have plenty of listeners. We're at like 300 now. That's pretty amazing. Maybe it's 300 listens. Look, (laughs) we're not going to bring us down by thinking about reality. We're just going to pretend that it's 300 listeners. Yes. And they all are going to subscribe. And they are all going to listen to every episode all the time. You're going to find us on TikTok and see my horrible videos (laughs) do you know that it's really hard to make tiktoks i have legitimately never tried to make a tiktok don't okay (laughs) deal (laughs) only you on tiktok all the time actually not true i'm gonna need you to do some (laughs) for the real estate stuff that's true i did record all i did today was talk about episode nine coming out which is exciting i just gave away our timeline but we'll I just screw it up. Screw with it next time and record like eight episodes at once. So yes. We'll super ahead. We super are going to need to be here for time. three days. <laughs> we are terrible at doing this quickly. Yes. <laughs> but I had to record it like seven times, maybe more. First, I started with like a filter to try and like take yeah. away from me. <laughs> I understand that. Yep. Then I ditched the filter because it was confusing and distracting me. High <laughs> ADHD. And I still kept tripping over my words and stuff. It's really hard to TikTok. Yeah. <sighs> I um, hate it. <laughs> I'm glad to know that you can do multiple takes because I don't know why in my brain it was like live. <laughs> I appreciate that. This is why I don't do things. (laughs) (laughs) This is why you get so confused at puppet shows. (laughs) How does this work? I don't understand. I do appreciate that you had so much faith in me that you thought I could do that live. I do. (laughs) The look on your face really said no. No, you do not. (laughs) I'm just going to pretend that you do. I've heard the bloopers for this <laughs> <laughs> and been part of them. Y- yeah. A lot of them. <laughs> you know what I'm just realizing though? I think that a lot of the bloopers are just me <laughs> being horrible at saying English words. <laughs> I mean, English is your second language. <laughs> <laughs> My first was like. Elvish? There, oh, that would be amazing. I want to do the whole podcast in Elvish. Please do. I feel like we really missed the mark not teaching our children 
elvish from child from like early early on i was just talking about how i'm really bummed in myself that i didn't teach carly to say z instead of z because we're the only (laughs) country that i i believe we are the only country who doesn't say z she used to say zebra (laughs) because of peppa pig (laughs) that would make i never thought about that Bluey has, what are they? Are they from the UK? Australian, Aust- I think. Oh, yeah, Australia. I wonder if kids that watch a lot of Bluey Say start Z. having like an Australian accent yeah. using Australian terms. I do regret not raising Carly with an accent. Mm-hmm. Only to later discover that her whole entire childhood was a lie. <laughs> I absolutely regret that. <laughs> We'd probably have a good two two English years left. I almost said Egyptian, which also (laughs) would would have been fabulous. (laughs) I'm going to have to... No, I'm not doing it again. We are awful parents. No, no, we're not awful because we didn't do it. Right, right. We win. Yes. Yes? Better than bad parenting. (laughs) Ooh, yeah. I like it. I'm sold. (laughs) So... Dopamine. Yeah. Did you have any this week? I did. Tell me about it. All right. Last week I spoke about Roanoke, Mm -hmm. which was this crazy kind of disappearing civilization where we've probably already figured out kind of what happened with the people of Roanoke, but it's still really interesting and still kind of creepy and eerie that just all these people disappeared. This guy left came back and never saw his family again. It was just done. No note on the door, no forwarding address. Exactly. Exactly. And so to continue the creepy town vibes, that's what we're going to go with, the creepy town vibes, Mm -hmm. I want to tell you about a little town in Connecticut. Being very generous, calling it a town. Because in reality, it's more of a little, like, offshoot of Cornwall, Connecticut. Okay. So when I refer to it from now on, I'm probably going to call it a settlement because that's about the size of it. This is located within the Dark Entry Forest, which is super ominous because... (laughs) So many questions. (laughs) I could see. Did they name this after everything happened? Before everything? Like... Was it always called this? And they showed up and they were like, this sounds great. I Let's love darkness. Here. Yeah, I don't know. That's a great question, actually. I don't know. I can <laughs> tell you why they named it that. Okay. Or, so they named it that because the forest was a dense, typical Connecticut forest, but was also surrounded by mountains. Mm. So even like a a little after noon when the sun would start sinking behind these mountains it would cast shadows and the forest would be even darker than a typical forest is all that is currently left because this was an actual town you could previously actually visit it it's illegal now so don't do it oh i know i was already gonna look up my flight i figured you'd already booked tickets i should have spoke sooner (sighs) ruining all my fun (laughs) i i try (laughs) you're awful at it (laughs) dang it (laughs) this is what anyway yes i was gonna tangent and we tangent enough all the time all the time so 
The only thing that's left now are pretty much holes left over from the sellers. Not the sellers, like people who <laughs> sell. <laughs> they have some holes <laughs> from the sides. <laughs> Just maintained all these years later. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, maybe more like where you'd store your wine. Right. I'm sure that's what these people were doing with their sellers. And then maybe very few random stone walls. Really nothing left. Like I said, it's been closed to the public for years. You could visit it for a long time, but they stopped because ghost rumors stirred up a ton of people and they just didn't take good care of it when they would visit. Mm -hmm. So it's been vandalized and abused and this is why we can't have nice things. Good job, people. Yeah. Good job. Exactly. So one thing that I thought was really cool was that it was originally settled by Thomas Griffiths. Really? Exactly. Exactly how I reacted. You have a almost personal connection it, to this Exactly. Place. We should move there. We should. <laughs> you can <laughs> claim rights and they'll have to give it to you. They'll have it's to. totally how real estate works. It's slightly spelled different, but I'm sure that doesn't matter. No. Because... This was in the 1740s, and that was a long time for us to forget our letters. Right. (laughs) Or to add random E's. (laughs) I mean, it's fine. I'm sure it'll be legit. Yes. So there isn't a record whether Thomas actually stuck around, or if he settled and then left. But he did own half the land. I think perhaps he was ticked that they didn't name the town after. That is 1,000 million percent speculation. Uh, (laughs) He was like, screw you guys, I'm going home. Exactly. So it was named after a man called Gideon Dudley, which I don't think I've said so far, but it was called Dudley Town. Okay. No, you did not say that. More Harry Potter. Dudley Town. Anyway, by 1753, so this was approximately 10-ish years after Thomas had been there, more Dudleys moved in. Bar. Okay, I'm this name. This like the minions in the minion movie. <laughs> Two of them find a spot and call back to the rest of them, and they all like show up in a wave. <laughs> Dudleyville is here. Dudley, <laughs> banana. <laughs> banana. This guy's name, Barzile, Barzilai. It's wild. He's a Dudley. Um, then there was Abel Dudley. Which doesn't seem like a good name. I don't know. I mean, I'm sorry if there's anybody out there named Abel, but that's very biblical and it's very poorly connotated. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Martin Dudley joined them a few years later. All in all, when the town was at its peak, it had about 26 families living there, including the Dudleys. But we don't know if the Griffiths were there. <laughs> he bailed. <laughs> he bailed. Thomas was like, yeah, nah. I'm out. I don't like these Dudleys. I'm going to go add an E to my name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Settle in Michigan. Exactly. <laughs> they settled, and now that people have looked back, there's thought that potentially they built this settlement on top of a Native American burial site. Which is what people always go to when things go wrong. Go wrong, yes. Um, These would have been the Mohawk Nation, which sounds like the most hardcore rock-on native tribe name. I like it. Mm -hmm. 
they were actually rumored to also have had a lot of difficulty surviving on that part of the land. Okay. So maybe it really was an Indian burial. Exactly. Maybe it was pre the Mohawk Nation even. Right. They named it Dudley Town. And I'm just going to go boldly out and say this was a really stupid choice. That's not because of the name Dudley. It's because the Dudleys were thought to be descended from a man named Edmund Dudley, who was a British nobleman who was beheaded by Henry VIII for treason. Of course. And it is said that from that point on, the family was cursed. Henry VIII was really about destroying things. He truly was. Not only is he chopping heads off, but he is cursing entire towns now. Yeah, what a jerk. He's the worst. He's the, they don't even put that in the musical. They should. They should. We should rewrite well, it. Well, yeah. We'll, we'll, um, we'll name it Seven. <laughs> the sequel. <laughs> the real story. <laughs> this is, yes. I see no reason this could backfire at all. No. Nope. Totally good. <laughs> I'm sorry, not sorry. So, <laughs> Edmund's son, John. It's really quite a name going from Edmund to John. Right. He was the Duke of Northumberland and he plotted to overthrow Edward VI by marrying his son, Lord Gulliford Dudley <laughs> to Lady Jane Grey, which is quite a lovely name. It is. Uh, so the king died and she became the queen. But that was a very short time, and then the whole plot fell apart, and they were all beheaded. <laughs> John and Gulliford and Lady Jane. Headless. It happens. Man. It happens. Yeah. When you try to overthrow people, that's what you get. Mm-hmm. So, if you still don't believe in the curse, it's said that another brother of the Dudleys was a military officer. And when he returned to England from France, he infected all of his troops with the plague, killing most of them, as well as thousands of English citizens. They can specifically (laughs) trace back to this one guy. Thank you for that, because that was actually also my first thought. But, I mean, curse Dudley, dude. So, yeah, I guess so. The plague bringer. That's way more BA than the cursed Dudley dude. (laughs) (laughs) The plague bringer. The plague bringer. I like it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so. (laughs) Decimated a whole town. All of England, basically. He single-handedly started the plague. These Dudleys. He should have stopped kissing rats. are big duds. I know. They're they're idiots. (laughs) I'm going to get sued by the Dudley family. (laughs) This is all speculation. (laughs) Just telling you stuff I learned on the internet. (laughs) Somebody else said it first. Exactly. This isn't me. (laughs) So, it's thought that perhaps the rest of the Dudleys left to America to try and be rid of the curse or to try and stop having their name be smeared. Right. But then they went to a town, created it, and called it the Dudley Town. Like... They could have chose any name. They could have changed their name. And then these people went along with it, even though these Dudleys were apparently cursed. I don't understand. I wrote in my notes, so why TF did they name it after the cursed people? Right. 
you make a very good point. Thank you. That was <laughs> such a good opportunity for them to start. Like, wasn't that what America was about? Was starting. Black? Yeah. Lots of people changed their names. Exactly. They could That's have gone with Smith. That's probably what happened to Thomas Griffiths. Exactly. He, he changed just it. Needed a fresh start, so he added an e. Exactly. I, that's the only origin story I accept from mm-hmm. Thomas Griffiths and my family. <laughs> There's probably something way cooler and way more amazing that happened, but right. not nope. anymore. No, <laughs> we from the history. all descended from Thomas Griffiths, <laughs> who founded Dudley Town before the Dudleys. They would have been better off calling it Griffiths Town. Mm-hmm. Or not haunted town or fresh start town lack of cursed town (laughs) plague bringer town no plague bringer town (laughs) we don't like plagues here they could have said it in french to give it a little flair and then nobody would have known (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry for all of those people that still spoke french (laughs) right right that So, so that was my note, and I think it's quite apt. It's a great question. I bet you're the first to ever ask. I'm sure of it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, the people farmed the land, but the land wasn't great for farming. Um, So, they ended up depending really heavily on Cornwall, which was the town nearby. The town of Dudley, well, the town of Dudley Town, the settlement of <laughs> Dudley Town didn't even have a store, a church, a school, really didn't have a lot. It was almost just like a, a cul-de-sac. <laughs> and they didn't even deserve to be called a town. Exactly. We will forevermore call like them Dudley cul-de-sac. of the neighboring town. Exactly. And they're like, feed us, feed they us. Probably didn't even have an HOA. <laughs> so, um... The town did go through a very prosperous time where they sold lumber because of the iron uh, craze that was going mm-hmm. through America, but that didn't last long because they were so far into the woods and so far away from like the uh, the railways that there was no way to get their lumber safely and efficiently. Right. Slowly but surely, the stories started to add up. This is what we're here for. Three of the Dudleys decided to move away. And they ended up living long, full lives and dying of natural causes. Just a fun fact. Right. Only Abel stayed. Abel Dudley remained in town. And after a series of bad luck, he lost his whole fortune. He, the town had to sell his property. And then he became a ward of the town. And throughout this time, he started to lose his mind. They said that he suffered insanity by the end of his life, and he did live to be 90. Holy so cow. He lived until 1799. Now, he had a good friend, Gershon Hollister, who might have been able to read the French if they had named the town French. Gershon sounds a little French. Mm-hmm. But anyway. He would know all the secrets. He, he would know. Maybe that's why this happened to him. So, there's a t- couple accounts of Gershon's death. And one is that he was helping during a barn raising at William Tanner's house, which might be important later. Ooh, and, yes. Or, the other story is that he was in William Tanner's house and he was murdered. Ooh. Yes. Hot twist. Plot twist. <laughs> we need a sound effect for plot twists. 
William was actually a neighbor of Abel. And after the death of Gershon, he too lost his mind. And as he aged and started to lose his mind, he would tell stories to the other villages nearby about the strange creatures that would come out of the woods at night. These creatures he would explain as shadows, shadow people. And I don't know how deep you get into like, creepy crap, mm -hmm. <laughs> but there's a lot of shadow people talk out there. Yes, yes, if you don't want to sleep tonight, Google it. Mm -hmm. I want to sleep tonight, so I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. You got it. So he actually died at the age of 104, which is wild. That is wild. Especially for the, for the Exactly. Yes. Now, this, the stories of Dudley Town didn't end here. So those were some of the original settlers. There was another uh, Mary Cheney Greeley. She was the wife of Horace Greeley, who had run for president. She actually hanged herself one week before he lost his bid for the presidency, and that was in 1872. So about 100 years in the future. Mm -hmm. Another story um, of a Revolutionary War hero, and his name was General Herman Swift. He was married to a woman who was out on her front porch, out on their front porch, was struck by lightning and killed. Wow. So he actually lost his mind after that happened. Um, now this one, in my opinion, is really truly the saddest. This is the story of the family of Nathaniel Carter. They moved into Dudley Town around 1759, so we're kind of going back in time. Mm -hmm. At Shortly after they moved in, a plague swept through the town. It didn't hurt Nathaniel's immediate family, but some of his extended relatives died because of it. In mourning, he moved to Binghampton, New York, and he built a log cabin. This was his family's way of trying to separate and cope mm -hmm. with that loss. But apparently the curse followed them. Because in 1764, which is approximately, what, five years after he mm -hmm. had moved into Dudley Town and seen his relatives wiped out, he left home and a band of hostile Indians murdered his wife and his infant. And then they kidnapped his two daughters and his son. Oh, wow. When Nathaniel returned home, they scalped him and then killed him and burned his home to the ground. Then his two girls were taken to Canada and ransomed. I don't know if it was like to America. I'm not quite sure. I didn't really, I didn't want to know to be honest right. with you. His son did have a better fate. He was taken to Canada as well and then actually married an Indian woman out of the tribe and started a family and actually was able to come back to America to study later on in his life. So That sounds like a way better love story than the Pocahontas. Oh my gosh, thing. right? I don't know his name, but I would, otherwise I'd be able to make a really cool name for it. I wouldn't. It would be a terrible name. <laughs> I'd have to think about it for a while. <laughs> Maybe next week. <laughs> I've absolutely forgotten yeah. it by then. So he, he ended up doing really well for himself, but it's really sad. I yeah. mean, that was one of the really sad stories. And I never... When you learn about all this, and not obviously not the specific stuff of in history class, but when you learn about history, it all seems so um, 
like boxed up neatly. Like I know there were problems with Native Americans because we came in and stole their land, but it doesn't feel like it would be still happening in 1764. Right, right. And because we're just getting ready to fight like the, the Revolutionary War or not. Yeah, the Revolutionary War was what, 1776? Seven, somewhere around there? Good memory. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think there's a song somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Schoolhouse Rock or something? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, gosh, now. Animania? Yeah, 1776. Um, that's not that, like. No, nope, it's apart. really not. 12 years? Yeah. And, 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 and he was in New York? Yeah, New York. I mean, not New York City, obviously. Of but course. But even then, up. when you hear New York, you don't think of a log cabin in the woods with Native Americans. Right. Yeah. it's That's not covered in Hamilton, you guys. <laughs> there are no problems with the Native Americans in Hamilton. Well, when you think about it, too, you don't think about it being so violent. Mm-hmm. It's kind of shocking. Yeah. Especially with children involved and... Uh. <laughs> So at this point in Dudley Town, obviously Nathaniel wasn't in Dudley Town when this happened, but at this point, most people left. <laughs> That's probably for their own good. I think so. It's about time. There were a few holdouts who decided they needed to stay. One of those was John Patrick Brophy. Brophy. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry that last name triggers my bro. Bro. So he had also a really horrible time in Dudley Town. <laughs> I'm so negative. <laughs> so he lost his wife to consumption, which was pretty common at the time, and she had been suffering for a while. Mm-hmm. After she passed away, a few years later, his two children disappeared. Now, they had been accused of stealing sleigh blankets. Okay. I'm not... An, I can kind of conjure an image of what that would be but yeah yeah sleigh in the winter that's yes santa's sleigh correct yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) so i mean don't ask me to expand on that but you know maybe they're expensive exactly so after they were accused of stealing the blankets they just disappeared so it's thought that maybe they were trying to clear their name Mm -hmm. or start somewhere new maybe they moved away and started a colony called Brophy the Blanket Thieves. <laughs> I don't know. This seems like the only logical thing to do, yeah, Dudleys. Absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, I'll get over this someday. <laughs> um but there's nothing really to indicate that that's the case. So then, shortly after they disappeared, Brophy's house burned to the ground (laughs) and shortly after that Brophy himself vanished into the forest he was never seen after that ever again Hmm. so there is some talk of the fact that he maybe just burned his house and left maybe he had a plan with his children to go somewhere else or maybe he went looking for them or hopefully he met up with them wherever they decided to hide I think so stolen sleigh blankets exactly at Brophy, the Blanket Thieves village. Yes. Yes. It rolls right <laughs> off the tongue. <laughs> we have solved this mystery. You're welcome, America. <laughs> Tune in next week to find out where Brophy's blanket-stealing village was. <laughs> I'm going 
drawn on a map? No. <laughs> exactly, though. And drawn pictures as historical evidence. <laughs> exactly. Grand. <laughs> Help Carly draw them. <laughs> Connor can build them out of Legos. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so Brophy was one of the last people, and that pretty much cleared out Dudley Town. Until... Because, of course, the story can't be over Uh, there. In 1924. Almost current. Yes. Well, I guess almost 100 years ago now. Look, look, we don't talk about that as if it was that long ago. It's still 1999. Right. I saw the sign was just released on on the radio. (laughs) Podcasts don't even exist. Exactly. (laughs) This is the optimistic and sometimes pessimistic optimist show on the radio. I was trying to think of a local station and I have nothing because I don't listen to the radio anymore. That's a good point. 104.5. Yeah, that probably still exists. Anyway, so 1924, almost current. There was an oncologist. His name was Dr. Clark, and he lived in New York with his wife, but they were very stressed and they wanted a place to escape. So he bought 1,000 acres Let's, let's real estate that for a minute. Right. 1,000 acres of forest land, and that 1,000 acres included Dudley Town. So he and his wife visited the area, and they were kind of scoping out the woods and trying to find a place to build. They wanted to build a cabin. And they saw the remnants of Dudley Town. And apparently in this forest, there was a kind of rock that was very, it was naturally there, and it was very abundant, so at certain times, even though it's the darkest forest ever, the sun would shine in and it would sparkle on these rocks and it looked kind of magical. Ooh. And also, apparently, these woods were quite hefty with owls, which sort of, for them, increased the magic because mm-hmm. they would walk in and hear these owls and it sparkled. So they decided they wanted to live near... Dudley Town in these woods. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so they built a cabin. They even actually said that the the crumbling ruins of the old Dudley Town was sort of enhancing the ambiance of the forest because of its history and everything. Can you imagine buying some property and you're like walking through it and you're like, oh look, I accidentally bought an old town that has been deserted. How right. cool. Right. <laughs> No, I cannot imagine that. can't imagine owning enough land to have a town. <laughs> that you didn't know about existing. I was excited that there was like a weird cinder block structure in the back of my woods. Right? <laughs> it's probably an old well or something. An asparagus field. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I was thrilled. <laughs> they built their cabin and they visited quite often i believe it was about three years that they spent on and off visiting during the summer and during holidays they're really happy with it but one time when they were there mr clark dr clark dr clark was called away on business and his wife stayed and he returned about 36 hours later and by all accounts he or by some accounts i can't say all <laughs> Some accounts say that he walked into the woods and the owls seemed agitated. Like um, they were louder than usual. And he said it just felt ominous. 
So he walked to his home and he found the door slightly ajar. He pushed the door open and he could hear laughter from within his home. He went up the stairs and he went into their bedroom and he found his wife curled up in a ball, staring at the wall, laughing. The quote, I would like to read the exact quote from this part of the story. But as he pushed open the front door, which had been left slightly ajar, he heard a sound that he would never forget. From an upstairs room came the maniacal, uncontrolled laughter of one who had taken leave of her senses. During his absence, his wife had gone quite mad. So he brought her back to New York, and she did, unfortunately, kill herself. Um one single version. Now, I read a lot of the different kinds of stories and I try to follow up on these, which sometimes takes all the fun out of it because unfortunately I'm about to debunk <laughs> Dudley Town. Oh. But I know, I know. Ugh. But I try to keep it level so that I don't spread stupid lies and stuff like that. But which one of I appreciate. Thank you. Thank you. But one of the stories I did hear said that not only had his wife gone mad and was she laughing, but when she finally would talk, she talked about the things that came out of the woods. Just like the villager had. From 200 years ago. Exactly. So that was that was very eerie, and I don't know if that was just somebody who threw that in to embellish and make it more creepy, which absolutely which does. Works. It intensifies <laughs> it immensely. Or if that was true. But she did kill herself. Dr. Clark and his new wife did end up staying in that home for a few more years and then actually in very near that location built a larger vacation home and in 1924 he and his new wife along with some of their doctor friends purchased and created the dark entry forest association and treated it as sort of a forest preserve Okay. They actually started replanting in the areas where people were trying to farm previously and replanted lumber that had been removed. So that kind of brings us up to now. Because mm-hmm. once he did that, you weren't allowed to obviously move there or anything any longer. Now I get to be a buzzkill. Folklorists attribute Dudley Town's demise to the curse of the Dudley family. Um, however... The Dudley line is actually not able to be traced back to Edmund. Oh. It's said that he had two sons, and one of them moved, and I believe this was to Italy, and prospered really greatly, had a family and everything, and his other son died. Oh. However, I mean, if you really want to, you know, go for it, you could say maybe his son didn't die, and he came to America. Ran away. Exactly. Faked his death. Exactly. To start a new town. Called, called Dudley Town. Called Dudley Cursed Town. <laughs> <laughs> Next to the dark forest. Dark entry forest, exactly. <laughs> um, now, the other, th- the other things, unfortunately, are pretty easy to debunk. Um, losing their minds would be pretty easy when mm-hmm. they're 90 and 104. And who knows, the, um, the wife of Dr. Clark might have been ill. Right. It, it's hard to say. Also... This was in the 1700s. The um, the originals were in the 1700s. Mm-hmm. There wasn't electricity yet. Electricity didn't start until the 1890s. So they were lighting things with fire. 
So there were a lot of fires. They, yeah, and there was a lot of darkness. I mean, and fires cast weird shadows and mm-hmm. stuff. So seeing shadow people, especially when you're older and your eyesight's going and stuff, it's really not entirely unheard of. True, I guess. <sighs> yeah, I know. Let's not. I Let's guess. not believe any of this. No. <laughs> um, and Facts of course, are stupid. <laughs> exactly. And of course, sicknesses and things like that were really rampant. Because they didn't have the medications, the know-how, and to be honest, they didn't have the the cleanliness and sterilization measures. In those days, they weren't even washing their hands before surgery. Yeah, yeah, they didn't have Lysol spray to spray (laughs) on their counters. And there are still a lot of families descended from these original twenty-six families who say, "No, there's absolutely no curse. You're crazy. Stay off our land. (laughs) (laughs) Go away." (laughs) But just as a little touch of funds still left over, they did used to allow people to hike and or visit the area. And a lot of those people did say that it was bad vibes and they would see apparitions and there were cold spots and things like that. Please don't go there now. It's illegal. (laughs) (laughs) Just remind you again. Yeah. Yeah. In 1999, it became illegal. And I imagine that if there are cellar holes, you could hurt yourself. And these people, I don't want these people mad at me. (laughs) They just want to be left alone now. (laughs) So that is the story of Dudley Town. That is, so my theory. I love that you have a theory. Dudley Town is actually the campground (gasps) that these books are based on. Dark forest. With the dark forest and the magic rocks. Yes. And so the, the, what the land was doing and the beings that live on this old land was trying to lure people in to take care of them. And it's really this Dr. Clark that started the whole campground family. Love it. Mm -hmm. I'm sold. Totally true. Bonnie, let us know if we're on the right track. (laughs) She's gonna gonna be like, you guys need to cease and desist. (laughs) Please stop mentioning me in your weird podcast. (laughs) These are idiots and I will not stand for this. (laughs) She's also super cool and like a um, computer programmer. So she's like also cooler than us and I don't want to make her mad. I want her to be our friend. <laughs> so we are not better than Bonnie Quinn. We are not even close. No. <laughs> Good job. That was still creepy even with the debunking. Excellent. I think it's still creepy. Alright, so I'm going to bring it back up Yay. a little bit. This week I am, there's a little bit of fact-based stuff here, but I'm kind of just discussing how narrative can change how we view things. Ooh. Um, so specifically, my favorite type of story right now is the morally gray characters. And this can be either a character that isn't necessarily a good guy, but his actions maybe aren't so bad, or you kind of understand them. Or my personal favorite are the characters that are painted as a bad guy or bad person. And then you find out their side of the story, and they're actually amazing people with a reason to be doing whatever it is that made them evil at the time. Do we have to spoiler alert this one? No, I will not name any specific books. Honestly, I think it started way back. Do you remember the book? Um, 
I don't even know what the name of it was, but it was basically the wolf's version of the three little pigs. Yeah. I think it probably started there. So if, if you haven't read it or if you haven't seen it, it is the wolf's side of the three little pigs. And I think it's the same author as the stinky cheese man. Yes. So this is a whole episode about books now. <laughs> <laughs> Please excuse us. We're going to need an hour more for this episode. Right. In this children's book, the it's the big bad wolf and he's in jail and he's talking to like a news reporter and he's telling He's like, I wasn't trying to knock these houses down. I have bad allergies. And I was really just trying to get a cup of sugar. And I sneezed and their house fell down. Like, what kind of poor construction Who built a did house they straw? build that a sneeze can knock it down? So by the end of that book, you're still not sure if he's telling the truth or if the pigs are. But it at least especially as a kid kind of gets your mind thinking like are these the real stories are you know they're the saying now is there's always three sides to a story you know your side their side and the truth yes and science tells us nowadays that even our memories aren't reliable your brain can make up things or it fills in the blanks and so you remember something differently than you did stupid brain right (laughs) (laughs) so now i'm an adult and I don't know if this is a new trend or if it just happens to be a lot of what I read, but there are all these wonderful fantasy stories. I guess I was probably, again, primed to start looking at the bad guys sort of thing because I read a lot of fantasy novels. And fantasy novels are always about vampires and werewolves and typically things that we associate with evil or um, you know, they have to eat, they have to suck blood to survive. They kill people to, or they scratch people to turn them into werewolves. It's, they were represented as bad guys for so long, but you have all these fantasy authors that make them And even guys. movies. Twilight yeah. Yeah. and... Twilight, um, it started for me with Anita, the Anita Blake series by Lily yep, Hamilton. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, which really gets into <clears throat> vampires and werewolves having normal relationships and lives and powers and and falling in love and starting families and all of those things so then so twilight came out and now we're giving vampires sparkly skin i read a lot of mythology based fantasy novels now and you get the persephone and hades story which is uh you know hades is the the god of hell and he's the god of the underworld and persephone is the plant lady she she grows she's spring she's flowers and they fall in love there are so many retellings of these mythology stories now that paint a different picture of who these characters were even hades was like i feel like if i think back think of hercules the cartoon the disney cartoon he was painted as yes the bad guy but also hilarious right and the books i've read at least he he is the god of the underworld but he cares about the underworld yes he loves the underworld he wants to help people transition to the next part of their lives or yeah lives same even i think the percy jackson books kind of go that that Mm -hmm. way so i have read a ton of these books it's you know i i love the other side of the story it's actually part of so being in involved in township government i have to or i was supposed to choose a political party and even now i maintain i call myself a purple person everything's gray 
this mindset of mine drives my husband absolutely insane, <laughs> by the way. I wanted to kind of talk about certain narratives that are fed to us for the wrong reasons or, um, you know, they say history is written by the winners. And it really, I had a really hard time even writing this, my notes on this episode because I didn't know where I wanted to lead it. And this week's topic on that goes way far back, um, but it's about coyotes. (laughs) (laughs) And there, of course, is another book attached to why I chose coyotes, but it really started because we have coyotes near my house and I have chickens just two weeks ago when my chickens were outside free ranging, which I very rarely let them do now because something is disappearing. <laughs> um, there was a ruckus from my black chicken named Gwyn. And when I went out, I, I, I could see all of my chickens. They were all nearby. There was a coyote standing at the edge of my property. And then I brought the dogs inside, heard more commotion, went out, and she had, I call her she, I honestly don't know if this coyote was a boy or a girl. I like to I'm think that you gonna, did, she's, no. uh, But she had ran to the west, the southwest side of my property and had gone for the chicken again. And at that point, I stepped outside, and her and I just kind of had a staring contest for probably all of seven seconds, but it felt like a long time. And then I shoot her into the woods. And then a week later, less than a week later, there was a fox out by my hen house. And we've lived here seven years and I have had animal issues. Talked about the evil raccoon before. Um, We had a weasel take out a whole flock of baby chicks one year. I know a raccoon has eaten chickens. I knew we had coyotes, but I had never seen the coyote and the fox in my yard ever and then for them both to be there at the same time. Can you catch the fox and give it to me for my birthday? Yes. <laughs> he was very pretty. He's a he, I don't know why. Sure. Probably because of the movie Fox and the Hound. <laughs> Todd. His name Aww. is Todd. Okay, um, now I have to cry. I think coyotes are beautiful. When I went on my road trip back, feels like a lifetime ago, I got to visit a wolf dog sanctuary that's in New Mexico. It's actually the wolf sanctuary that George R.R. Martin supports through his um, Game of Thrones writing that he's never going to finish. And I believe some of the pictures he uses for his Game of Thrones wolf, uh, I don't remember what they're called, wolf dogs. They're they're real big. Anyway. Dire wolves. Yes, dire wolves (laughs) are the actual wolf dogs that are at the sanctuary. And all of the dogs... I keep, I'm going to call them dogs. It's a wolf sanctuary, but I want to say 90% of them are wolf dogs. So they were bred with wolves. Somebody adopted it as a puppy, thought they were getting this cute little wolf dog that was going to be like a husky. And then as it got older and started to display more signs of actually, you know, being a wild animal that should not be domesticated, they couldn't control it. So it ends up at these sanctuaries. So I went to the Wild Spirit Wolf Sanctuary. I was able to meet some of these wolf dogs. I have pictures of me with one of the very nice ones and the size of these animals is just incredible. I think that's some of where people 
come up with crazy stories about giant dogs and stuff like that because really it is hard to fathom the size of a wolf oh yeah they aren't the size of your huskies or malamutes they're huge they are huge like not horse sized but very close i mean and you could definitely mistake one for a bear Mm -hmm. or something if they were going through the woods i think that's where potentially a lot of crazy stories come from i obviously have a soft spot for dog animals any type of cute little puppy but traditionally in the united states coyotes in particular have been painted as a scary animal a vicious animal um, something that should be killed on sight something that should be avoided when I was telling the story to people about seeing the coyote or seeing the fox, most of them immediately asked like, oh, did you, did you shoot him? Did you get your gun? Um, Everybody just assumed that I would want to murder this animal because it had attacked my chickens. And don't get me wrong, I am not a chicken farmer. My chickens do not provide anything to me except for eggs that I don't eat and joy. They make me laugh. I think they look funny. They have personalities. I talk to them. They crack me up. I understand nature. And that's what I would tell people when they asked about, you know, did did you kill it? Did you shoot it? I'm not, not the type of person that's going to assume that my chicken's life is more important than this coyote's life. This coyote Again, this is where my brain goes into the morally gray part of it and why my husband gets frustrated. Because <laughs> in those 30 seconds of viewing this coyote, I had to, you know, I decided it wasn't worth the death of, or it would be worth the death of my chicken if she was going to take my chicken. She probably has pups to feed. She probably has a family to so take care of. So you wrote a story for this coyote she, I did. And, um, <laughs> and, and I know that urbanization and, and the sprawl is moving into their territory. We were not here first. They were here first. They're just hungry. They're just trying to survive. They don't have reasoning brains like we do where they're like, oh, I should not attack that chicken because it obviously has a home and it is obviously well cared for. So I'll just move on to the next wild animal. But I also have a soft spot for coyotes because of a book. And this is why I wanted to talk about the narrative. So from my reading, coyotes max out at like 45 pounds, which is smaller than my pit bull. So these these coyotes are not the ones that are... They're very chicken. They yeah, don't want to deal with very you. They're very shy. They're not big enough to take down your cow. So the book, the book that brings all of this together is called Prodigal Summer, and it's by Bar- Barbara Kingsolver, and it really focuses on a small town at the bottom of, like, the Appalachian Mountains, I think. And there's three separate... There's three characters that we get their story and how it kind of, of course it intertwines because it's small town America. It's probably set in the 70s, 80s, but the book actually came out in the early 2000s. One of the stories is an older, like a very old man, and he is trying to crossbreed chestnut trees to create a type of chestnut that is resistant to the blight. The second story is a recently widowed woman who used to like live in New York and she was a biologist and she was studying moths and now she's 
trying to make it as a farm girl on this family farm and her husband dies. And so she's trying to prove that she's able. The third character, my personal favorite, is a forest ranger in the Appalachian Mountains. She lives by herself. She lives in a cabin that's basically been deserted. She gets once a month deliveries from the forest service to, for her food and everything. Does and she run a campground? <laughs> it's not mentioned in this book, but maybe. And she's up there to just conserve and learn and, uh, and observe and make notes, basically. This woman specifically focus, focuses on these coyotes. And this, like I said, this is set in the 70s. This is when coyotes were really being painted as these terrible creatures. They're being hunted, they're being shot on sight. You can, you basically have free license to hunt coyotes wherever you are. They have big hunting parties to go try to wipe out these animals. By the end of it, I am in love with coyotes. But all of her narr narration, all of her arguments, are in this fictional book, but you can tell that it's been well, well researched. So she comes, she gives all this fact and information about why coyotes are actually pretty cool little animals. So some of, and I did some extra research, but some of this I did learn in Prodigal Summer. Um, coyotes mate for life and raise their families together. They build den well they find dens typically they like to find homes that are already made for them or they'll you know find a pile of brush that's been left and and make a den in there and of course they have tiny little puppy babies that are adorable they can have up to 19 pups at a time holy and the coolest part about that is Part of the reason the coyotes survived and thrived when the wolves didn't, because we know that wolves have become pretty endangered due to all of the, the hunting, again, from the farmers that are worried about their cattle. Coyotes adapt in a way that when they are hunted, their body will produce more pups. Oh, to, to increase make sure their that population. Oh my gosh. And if they are in an area that maybe has a food scarcity or they are being hunted, they their body will produce less pups. So you can actually tell how the the lives of coyotes are going based on how many pups they're having. And it's wow. a really interesting adaptation that you don't see in a lot of animals. Obviously it didn't work for the wolves. Right. With the coyotes, the more we hunted them, the more they adapted and the more pups they produced. In everything I read, I could not find any stories about coyotes that take out farm animals. Again, probably because they max out at like 45 pounds, so they're right. not taking down your cow. They will attack uh, birds, obviously. So the chickens, the geese, the ducks. I have heard that coyotes in packs might attack a dog if they feel threatened. Yes. So you do want to be cautious if there is a pack that you do not leave your animals outside alone, especially if you have a small animal. And that's especially, they're seeing that a lot in cities. Yes, because sure, because we're crowding Because the coyotes are being pushed into cities, they're becoming more used to people, they're becoming less shy. They can also take down small deer in okay, packs. Sure. 
mostly carnivores, but they can be omnivorous. So they are actually good population control for the small rodents. So mice, voles, rabbits, snakes even, they eat all these tiny creatures. And the science has proven that the, so coyotes are considered, where did I put it? A keystone species. So without coyotes, we would actually have a rodent problem because they play such an important part in our ecosystem that they're a keystone species, which means it becomes very noticeable if there are coyotes in the area, but it also becomes very noticeable if there are no coyotes in the area because they are such an important part of mm. population control. And so coyotes are considered typically considered apex predators they they don't have a lot of predators humans obviously become an issue other things might be cougars bears if they're down south far enough alligators can kill coyotes eagles when the pups are small enough eagles could take out a coyote but mostly they're at the top of the food chain they also have 11 different sounds when they communicate so whether it's their howl or their bark they also have like chuffs and sighs and just different sounds they use to communicate it's said that they're actually the most vocal mammal in north america oh wow and then kind of to tie things up i went way far back into cultures that see coyotes as more of a spiritual or a a good character. Way back, even before the Aztecs and Mayans, I can't even say the ancient city in Mexico, but it's Tutacanan. Ancient (laughs) ruined city in Mexico. And the signs, the pictures, their way of communication shows that one of their gods had a coyote head. Uh, They called, he has a fancy, name but it translates to old coyote they were also in aztec culture seen as warriors so you'll see a lot of the coyote face on a warrior's body and then my favorite folklore or mythology comes from native americans who really respect and revere coyotes as a symbol They believe the coyote um, was one of the first people, so they have a lot of extra powers. They were there when the world began. Coyote as as a god, as a person in this culture cannot be killed. They're immortal. They respawn basically from wherever they were. And they are seen as tricksters in some cultures. So knowing all of that and, you know, knowing that they were seen as tricksters or they, especially in the Native American culture, I started to wonder if maybe the reason the narrative of the coyote has become such a aggressive, angry animal or a scary animal, if it was kind of part of the whitewashed white history here in the United States where we took over an entire country from cultures of people and then just forgot about their history. I wonder if coyotes, the narrative to turn coyotes into this evil 
creature came from trying to ruin the Native American culture. It just really goes, it makes me wonder about the narrative. Why was it painted that way? Yeah. Or is it just because they look like wolves? They look so much like wolves and wolves can take out a cow. Wolves can. They are scary. Yeah, they are scary. They can be 180 pounds and they can attack humans and they can attack horses and all kinds of things. So did it just travel down from being so closely related to a scary predator? When I wondered the whole time you were talking about this, because I've always heard of the coyote not as something vicious or frightening. Otherwise, I've heard of them more as like dirty scavengers, Um, like a seagull, sort of. Mm -hmm. That's how I would compare them. And I wonder now if it's because upon adapting to being pushed out of their areas, they have had to become somewhat of a scavenger, Mm -hmm. pulling dead animals off the side of the road or getting into garbages. Because what else are they going to do? There's not enough for them to eat. Right. And we're we're wiping out their habitat. We're yeah. wiping out their food sources. I also and, highly recommend that anyone listening currently and immediately Googles coyote pups. Because they are the most so adorable babies. Between looking up a book that I've read about a coyote shapeshifter. Yes. And looking that up, that is what I've been doing while I've been listening to. <laughs> I wish you guys could have seen her face. Like, I would have been talking about, like, (laughs) how coyotes are seen as evil and these things. And she'd just be looking at her phone making these cute, like, (laughs) adorable faces. And it was beautiful. And just softly weeping over the coyote puppies. (laughs) Tiny cute babies. (laughs) So, like I said, I'll probably dig more into other... I I haven't put it together yet, and I don't know if I'll have the guts to do it. But I kind of want to do a spider episode where I get into not only the narrative of spiders being creepy and gross and awful, but some of the mythology behind other spiders we've heard about and try to figure out why spiders became this awful creature when really they're very good for our ecosystem and they eat mosquitoes. Mosquitoes are way worse than spiders. Mosquitoes will bite you on purpose. A spider will only bite you if you sm- if you like put your hand on it i did want to call out one podcast that if you want to get into kind of current events or some political thoughts or really dive into how media changes the mm. narrative on things the podcast is called you should know and i will link the podcast when this episode airs she's making a note right now (laughs) because they focus on a lot of the old news stories or a lot of what we were told especially in the 90s and then they give you the facts of it so the one that always sticks with me kind of goes along this line it's the the dingo lady yeah my baby that lady that everybody makes fun of now yeah and it's like i'm guilty of it too a dingo actually did eat her baby. Yeah. And yeah. they didn't, nobody believed her. Nobody thought dingoes did that. There wasn't any evidence, you know, because the dingo had it, stolen her baby. Yeah, yeah. And they found out years later, or probably not even years later, they probably found out right after that what had actually happened. They probably found the evidence. I think they found, like, clothes in a dingo den and 
signs and some droppings. But nobody ever came back and like announced to the media, hey, remember that lady you guys all called a liar and like accused of child abuse? You all owe her an apology. <sighs> it's, it's, so it's a whole podcast of things you thought you knew, stories you thought you knew the truth about, and they do the research. And it's it honestly probably is what pushed me towards this idea. Oh, also, when you were talking about morally gray characters, one of my favorite book series of all time is Aragon. They're coming out with a Murtog book. Murtog, who is very morally gray. And if you're looking for other suggestions for morally gray character books, mm. I could give you an entire list. And everything Sarah to. Moss writes. Yeah, basically anything Sarah J. Moss writes. Um, the new book, Fourth Wing. <gasps> the Fourth Wing. That one has a great morally gray side. I'm excited that you finished it because I think a couple podcasts ago you were like, yeah, it's it's not bad. And glad, I'm glad I started it. it. It's giving me, I think you said divergent vibes. Yep. And I was like, just hang in. I swear I, I gave it to you for a reason. So, so morally great characters. If you need book suggestions, we have them. We oh my I'll gosh! I'll try yes. not to give away any spoilers and question the narrative. I guess is the end of this topic. Well, not this topic because I'm sure I'll talk about it again. <laughs> but this particular episode is just to question the narrative. Question and, the narrative, and maybe you'll find coyotes to be adorable and cute and lovable, and not want to murder Mm-mm. them. Look up pictures of puppies. <laughs> I could just span. If you need help loving coyotes, just let me know your phone number and I will text you daily cute coyote pictures. I'm 1000% gonna post coyote puppy photos. <laughs> I'm gonna make a Patreon level where I just text cute pictures to you every day. <laughs> might be a coyote, might be an otter. It's gonna be, be our prom photo from. <laughs> Uh, the zoo. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, we took a prom photo at the zoo. We'll get into that later. We do that sometimes. <laughs> but thanks for thanks. that topic and bringing us back up. Thanks for listening to episode 11 with us. Yay! And we'll see you on episode 12. Yeah. In episode 12. We'll and see you. You'll hear us. You'll hear us. We won't see you. You could comment on our social media. (laughs) And then we would see you. And then we would see you. And that would be fun. Yeah. We could shout you out. We like to do that. We do. And you want to hear your name on our podcast? Because then you're basically famous. Exactly. Somebody said your name on a episode of a podcast that is literally available everywhere. You're famous. We'll even say your last name if you want. Mm-hmm. We've been avoiding that so people don't get mad at us. Right. Anyway, we love you. Okay. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Dungeons and dopamine. <laughs>